Hello everybody, Trace Blackmore here, and I'm sure you've noticed that I have started off scaling up very differently this episode. I've done that on purpose. We're going to be talking about some of the horrific things that have happened recently and unfortunately continue to happen. Just recently, we had the Vegas shootings, and I'm sure you guys out there are just like me. You have no idea what to do about this. Can't even imagine the, that something like this can even happen. However, it does. I'm very fortunate to have a friend that does training on topics such as this. His name is Lieutenant Rob Pendleton of the Snellville, Georgia Police Department. If you're wondering, Snellville, Georgia is located about 35 miles north of Atlanta. And Rob is going to talk to the Scaling Up Nation today about what we need to know to keep ourselves safe in several situations. But he's also going to talk specifically about what we need to do if we were to ever find ourselves in that active shooter situation. And it's my hope that nobody out there ever has that occur to them. It's my hope that that never happens again. Unfortunately, I, I don't think that's realistic. And that saddens me so much to say. I hope that you will share this episode with your friends, with your loved ones, because if you are armed with information, you can make better decisions. So if you will, please listen with me as I interview Lieutenant Rob Pendleton. My lab partner today is Lieutenant Rob Pendleton of the Snellville Police Department, and Rob is the training director there. Rob, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up. We're going to be talking about some, some pretty deep topics today, but in, but topics that if the audience knows what to do and they're paying a little bit better attention, this is a show that could possibly save someone's life. I've been asking you how you're doing today. I'm doing great, Trace. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, let, let's just get right into it. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what your job is and what you do. Well, I've been with Snellville for a little bit over 18 years now. Uh, recently, I've come out, come over uh, from the patrol side of it and working as the director of training. And we're out there not only teaching the officers the things that they need to know. Uh, our chief has, us, has myself and some of my other instructors out into the community trying to raise awareness about a lot of different things. We do classes on just personal safety, firearm safety. Uh, one of the big ones that we've been doing lately and unfortunately recently have had a demand for it is a program called CRAZE, which is Civilian Response to Active Shooter. And we've been out there teaching that. And basically, it just goes over what to do if you're involved in a situation like that. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that today mm -hmm. so people can be aware if something horrible like that happened, what they need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really enjoyed the seminar that I attended of yours, which is why you're here, of course. <laughs> you do a great job with, uh, with what you do. You start out with saying you've got to be aware and that's the most important thing. So what is being aware? Well, it's one of the most important things, Trace. Um, situational awareness. It's, it's a fancy term that gets tossed around nowadays. A lot of pilots will know. They talk about that for, for piloting and things like that. Uh, in the military, law enforcement, uh, breaking it down to its most basic component, it's just being aware of your surroundings. 
and 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 not being distracted by certain things you know it, it it's basically uh gives people uh a sense of place and safety to be aware but it's easy to overlook it's easy to overlook we get into our day-to-day grind um we go to sometimes go to the same office every day we drive the same way to work every day um our routine sometimes makes us complacent and we have this false sense of security you'll always see they'll always have that person on the news they'll always interview that one person that says i never thought it could happen here right um well why can't it it can always happen it can happen anywhere and by being situationally aware being aware of your surroundings and and focusing on certain skill sets uh you can really mitigate the danger in your life and 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 at least uh hopefully i say and i say that as a caveat hopefully because we're never a hundred percent safe but hopefully you can forestall that a little bit if you think about it what brings on that false sense of security like i said is the, the routine the same people were around the common surroundings technology technology and this is this is one of the big things for me right now technology is actually taking away our skill sets we were born being aware of our surroundings as as human animals so to speak we would normally be aware back in caveman days you had to be aware so you didn't get eaten by an animal or things like that but even now in modern times take for instance gps it's easy enough now to punch in the coordinates for somewhere or the street address for somewhere and just listen to the machine and let the machine tell you when to make a right or a left, as opposed to actually knowing where you're going. In training officers for the road, I would forbid them for having a GPS in the car. They'd have to learn the roads of the streets uh, of the city uh, the old-fashioned way. Get out there, learn them, and learn what connects with what. And, and it builds on that skill set. Because if you only rely on that GPS, uh, if you don't have it one day or it goes out or something happens, you're lost without it. With that in mind, you talk about, well, I'll get to smartphones in a second. Automatic headlights is another thing uh, in reference to this where technology is kind of robbing us of our awareness. Uh, I worked nights for 15 years in Snellville and... You'd be amazed at the amount of people, and it didn't really happen 15 years ago, but with the onset of these auto lights and the sensors now, how many people drive around without their lights on at night? They just assume that it's going to be taken care of for them, and they just have no idea. In fact, going home from work last night, it was about 7.30, and I look in my rearview mirror, sure enough, there's a car behind me, and it only has parking lights on. Completely dark. So I stop at a stop sign and turn the blue lights on and get out and tell the young lady that was there. And she was a younger driver. And I asked her, I said, your headlights aren't on. You need to turn your headlights on. She's like, oh, yeah, they are. I said, well, no, they're actually not. I'm looking at them and they're not. Your parking lights are on. Well, they automatically come on. Well, they automatically didn't. And what she had did was she had left it in the wrong position uh, and I had to actually take about five minutes to teach her how to actually turn the lights wow. on and off. And this is what brights are. And this turning this this way does that. So, and not bashing the younger generation. I mean, it's great to have the technology. It's fantastic. But you also have to have a plan B. You also at least need to know and use the personal skills. 
cell phones. We rely so much on cell phones now. Everyone's got their head turned down. I can go down the road, whether driving, I drive in an unmarked car now, and I see people texting as they're driving. Everyone's looking down. Go to a restaurant and look and see how many people aren't actually talking with each other. They're they're playing on the phone. They're answering emails. They're texting other people that aren't there and not having that interpersonal interaction with the people that they're around. Take, for instance, or I take, take against an example or a homework assignment. Look at your phone when you're somewhere out on a side, on a sidewalk, somewhere safe, but look at your phone and start looking and, and actually process how much you're missing around you when you're looking down at your phone. As a cop, we always look at everything. We're looking in cars and we're constantly surveying people. And something, a trend that's come up now is headphones. People are wearing headphones in cars as they're driving. They're plugging into the... Is that legal system. to have both? No, okay. no, it's not, actually. But we see tons of it. We see tons of it. Uh, kids walking down the street. Uh, people walking down the street. I remember I, we had to stop to ask someone a question if they had saw a suspicious person. And I scared the daylights out of this teenager because he had his headphones on and was walking down the street looking at his phone. He never saw me coming, never knew I was there until I touched him on the shoulder and he went off the ground about two feet. Wow. You know? But it's things like that that's keeping us from being aware of our situations. All of that technology, just it, while it's good, it takes away from what we personally have. So I've talked about situational awareness. I've kind of given you a broad scope of it. But what actually is situational awareness? Three-point definition to it. Uh, it's a collection of skills to set limits that make us feel uh, uncomfortable or, or in situations that make us feel uncomfortable or dangerous. Uh, it's an awareness of your surroundings uh, and how to avoid potential dangers. And it's another part of it is aspects of how we feel about ourselves, self-esteem, confidence in dealing with these situations. The simplest way to describe awareness and why it's so important to us is in reference to dangerous situations, you can deal with something a lot easier if you've got that time and you see it coming. Someone a lot smarter than me, a lieutenant that I worked for for years, once I got promoted to lieutenant, told me, he said, well, from a police officer's point of view, and he may put his hands in a small circle around our eyes, you have this small scope that you're looking at. He said, as a sergeant, you've got to start looking at a bigger picture. He says, as a lieutenant, you've got to have 360-degree view mm -hmm. every day and watch what's going on because you're in charge. Well, that's the same thing for us everywhere. Every single person should have that awareness when they're out in public. Former Marine, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Cooper was his name, uh, World War II and Korea vet. He started the Ipsic uh, Shooting Foundation, uh, worked at Gunsight Ranch. Brilliant man, and came up with this idea of this color code of situational awareness and how you should be all through your day, from night to day and all of that. And he, he simplified it by, by adding these color codes. And he talks about condition white. Well, condition white is the lowest level of it. You're sleeping, you're around the house, you're watching the game, you got your feet up on the coffee table, whatever. You're, you're in your safety zone. And that's where you can feel the most safe. He steps it up a little bit and goes to condition yellow. Condition yellow, you're aware, you're attentive, uh, but you're relaxed. It's not a state of paranoia, 
Well, some people would say it would be, but you're just observant. And this is what happens when you walk out the door. Mm-hmm. As police officers, we live in this constantly. All day at work, we are in a high, we're at the top end of condition yellow and we're looking, we're watching, looking for anything out of the ordinary. Uh, you know, is there a threat out there? Think of it like you're driving. Okay. You are definitely in condition yellow when you're driving because you're watching other cars. You're watching for that. Hopefully that person doesn't cut out in front of you. What we call head on a swivel. Hopefully, if you're not texting while you're driving, which is also illegal. And you're watching. So that's, that's another analogy for condition yellow is that defensive driving where you're making sure that everything's around you. You're checking your mirrors. You're looking around. What's behind me? Are they too close? What's on my sides? What's in front? Who's cutting into traffic and stuff? So that's the best way to describe condition yellow. Condition orange steps it up another notch. Your focus is directed at a potential threat. It may be a threat. It may not be a threat. But you're aware of it. You're aware that someone's maybe too close. Someone may be staring at you too much. Women have condition orange down pat <laughs> with guys out there. You go to you go to the bar and their awareness is up and there's that creepy guy over there in the corner. So ladies have that down pat and it and it's it become it comes natural to them to watch out for those threats. Like I said, it may not be a threat, but at this point, you're at that what-if stage. What if something happens? You're formulating a plan. Uh, you're thinking about, well, if this person does come towards me, what am I going to do? You know, if it doesn't, it doesn't, and then I can lower it back down to condition yellow. So you jump from orange to yellow a lot through the day. And as officers, we do it all day long. Sure. Then he went on to talk about Condition Red, where there is a definite threat. It's a definite threat that's coming at you. You see it. You've identified it. You've got to take some kind of action at this point. That, and at this point, it's a fight or flight thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in reference to different strategies. Uh, and then Condition Black is you're actively engaged in conflict. Um, something's happened. You're, this per- you're being robbed. Someone's trying to assault you. And by then, hopefully, you would have had a plan of action set. Awareness is what helps you get that plan put into play a lot earlier if you see that threat coming. I know I see videos of people have been robbed outside of gas stations, and they walk out of the gas station, and sure enough, they're staring at their phone as they walk out, and they don't see those predators, those human predators, that are out there circling in them and trying to get into a position of advantage uh, to rob or hurt them or assault them. Rob, let me ask you, there's definitely technology and, you know, some of us have become a servant to technology where we're mm-hmm. constantly looking at it. We have to touch it. We have to pay attention to it. And obviously that's an issue that we're not paying attention. But also we all have that feeling that something's not right, mm-hmm. but normally everything is right. So we dismiss things very easily. How do you as a police officer really know what to dismiss and what not to dismiss? And what should we be maybe paying more attention to because of that? A lot of it comes with practice. Mm -hmm. A lot of it has come just from years and years of of watching people, becoming a student of human behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tell people, and brand new rookies, I love to tell them this. We have one that just came out of the academy uh, two weeks ago. And he's Daisy Fresh. He's 21 years old. And I, I swear I've got t-shirts older than him. 
I've been trying to put this exact same stuff into him. And one of the things I told him to do uh, as, a, as a little homework assignment was to go find a public place, a mall, uh, somewhere public where there's a lot of people and just sit and start people watching and watch the mannerisms, watch people's hand movements, uh, facial gestures. How do people interact with each other? You can tell what looks threatening and what doesn't. And the more you do it, the more you'll start to see who else is doing it. Who is that predator that maybe is in the corner somewhere looking for a potential victim? We talk about good habits to incorporate. We talk about people with personal space. And most personal space is about five feet. You give it about five feet with family members, maybe more. Intimate partners, obviously, closer. But you want to try to push that back a little bit. As cops, we, we always have a two-arm length stand. Okay. I don't want anyone getting within two arm lengths of me. If you're getting in close to me, then that's a big problem. And I've always been that way. And a funny game to play, a funny trick to play on some family members, do it with family members only. <laughs> um, as you're talking to them, take a step towards them if you're facing them. And then as you continue to talk to them, take another step. And keep on doing these little baby incremental steps and watch what they do. Watch their behavior to that. You'll see exactly when you hit their barrier and they'll, they'll start stepping backwards until they can't step. And finally they'll just stop. What are you doing? <laughs> and it kind of messes with their mind. And I've done this. I've done this with kids, my kids. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing, but it's, it's a neat sociological tool that you can use that really, uh, applies to all of this. Watch people's hands. People will have tells, uh, a typical tell for someone carrying a firearm, they almost can't help but touch where it is, tug down on a shirt if it's concealed or something. To make sure it's still concealed. To make sure it's still concealed, exactly. And and that's one thing to look out for. I know an officer that's worked with us years back. He's not with us any longer. And that was his big thing was watch the hands. Watch the hands because that's where the danger comes from. And you can tell these different things. I just came out of a really fantastic body language class that was taught uh, it was taught at Doraville PD and the instructor's fantastic he's got his PhD in forensic psychology and some of the things that he brought up in reference to that human behavior and how people react under stresses uh, opened my eyes and it's a fantastic it was a fantastic program talking about people's reactions and if you study it enough uh, and you study body language or kinesics enough, you can really pick up on this stuff. Another thing is have a plan. Uh, there's a great training book called Mind Sighting. That's out there. The name of the author escapes me right now. But it talks about daydreaming. And you're role-playing in your mind throughout the day. You're sitting in the car. You're in traffic. Start doing what-ifs. Uh, what if someone comes running up to the car? Okay. How do you react from that? You're going from a store to your parking lot. Are you scanning the parking lot? What if someone does this? What if someone does that? Play these scenarios out in your mind. Then when if, if something does happen, you've actually mentally rehearsed for it a little bit. I was on our tactical team for the city for 10 years. And we rehearse and we rehearse and we rehearse constantly in training every month. And we rehearse for these what ifs. Well, it's the same principle, just trying to do it mentally and mentally scripting through these things. So if something were to happen, you're not at a disadvantage. 
you've at least got some idea in your mind of what you're going to do uh, with that. Practice. You can make games with family members, and this is going into trying to remember tag numbers, trying to remember uh, exits on the interstate, things like that. And, and what was someone wearing after you were in there? Hey, what was this? What were those people wearing? And you're exercising your mind to start remembering these things and to stay sharp and to be aware. One of the tests that they have in most agencies when you go to be a police officer, part of the written test is they will show you a photograph and you've got, oh, 30 seconds to look at it. And then you've got to write down what you saw. And who was wearing what and what, what did you see? What were they wearing and things like that? Um, they did <clears throat> when I was in the police academy, the way they did it. And it was pretty interesting. It's kind of scary. It took us by surprise. Our instructor was there talking. Someone just walks into the room with uh, a fake gun with blanks, comes in, starts yelling at him, pushes him, fires three blank shots and runs out of the room. As he runs out of the room, he turns the lights off. And then someone else comes in, turns the light on, and they tell us, okay, write down what you saw, what happened, everything. Describe the scene. And we all got to write that down. It was funny because we each got it a little bit different. Some people said three shots. Some people said four. Some people said two. The clothing changed and things like that. So it was a really good lesson in in how to start learning to do observational skills and to get out there and practice this. There's also things that people can do in their lives. Self-defense courses, take up training, things like that. Um, first aid classes. I know I was an EMT from when I was in Virginia years back, and I still have the basic skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's people out there that don't have any basic first aid skills. Seek that out. The Red Cross does classes like that. Local hospitals will do CPR classes. And things like that. I know our hospital inside of Snellville Eastside does CPR classes and get some of that basic training and stuff and tools to keep yourself safe. There's plenty. It's not always about a firearm. There's pepper sprays. There's tasers. There's, you know, all kinds of things. Part of it, and we talked about that self-assuredness with that training brings that self-assuredness. And if you think about it, Love Discovery Channel. You used to love watching animal shows and nature shows and equate all of this stuff to it. You've always got the predators that are hunting out the weakest. Don't look like the weakest person out there. Walk self-assured. Look people in the eye that you know that they're coming. That helps a lot. People, I was originally from New York and people joke around. People from New York, you know, have this swagger about them when they walk and stuff. Well, it's from growing up there. And we can always tell the tourists in New York because they're always looking straight up at the tall buildings. And we all look straight ahead. But it's that self-assuredness of portraying that self-assuredness that is another thing that just subconsciously helps. That if someone is a predator out there, someone's trying to do something, that can help you with that. Rob, the majority of the people that are listening to this podcast are going in and out of buildings all day long. Uh, they might be office buildings, they might be schools, they might be uh, manufacturing facilities, you name it. So it's difficult to train on any one specific building. What are some general things that we need to know that we can do that allows us to keep ourselves safe? That's a great question, Trace. You take everything that we just talked about, about being self-aware, and you can apply all of that to the different locations. 
whether it be inside a building, uh, open spaces. The main things to remember and to think about around this is know your surroundings and know your environment. If it, if you are going around and you're going to these different locations, are they the same locations all the time? Is it a route that you have maybe, uh, different clientele that you have to go to? Uh, start to learn those buildings that you're in. If you don't know it, ask. Ask the people that work there uh, that know the building the best. Hey, where's the nearest exits around here if I had to take off? And be honest and open with them. Hey, I'm coming in and out. Uh, you know, if something, if an emergency were to happen, even if it was a fire, I'd love to know which way to get in, which way to get out. Do they have their own safety plans put in place, these different organizations and these different buildings? But it's always good to know that. Know the exits is one of the biggest things because if you have to get out, if you have to avoid some dangerous situation, an active shooter situation, the number one rule is to avoid and to get out. Again, we talked about that mind sighting. Have a plan. All these different buildings that they're going into, look and see what would happen if I was in this room and something happened. Do I have a way to get out? All right. Am I stuck in this in here? If I'm working on this piece of equipment in this one room, am, am I giving up awareness and keeping my back to a door? Am, am, is there a way that I could do it where I could see things coming at me from a distance? OK, just to give me that little edge, that little bit of extra time to uh, to react to that. Add on to that. If something were to happen, uh, willpower. Just, just normal willpower. If something actually did happen, um, one of the things they talk about in the uh, craze program is hope and hide. And a hope and hide never works. That you have to have that will to survive. You have to want to have that will. And think of what gives you that will. Family, children, you know, we talk about changing that emotion from fear to anger. If I was in a situation where something like that was happening, it would it would make me angry. It would make me absolutely angry rather than, than freeze up with fear and try to get out of that situation. Uh, and a lot of that is, is mental. It's using what do you want to live for, you know? Uh, and and for me, it's family. For me, sure. family comes to mind first thing. And choose to survive along with that. Be act, uh, Just be deliberate in your actions in what you do. This hope and hide just never really works. But really taking all of these things, that situational awareness, it applies to wherever you are 24-7. Uh, no matter what the building, you're, you're keeping your head on a swivel. That's the best way I can ex- describe it, that you're constantly looking. Uh, funny story, a friend of mine, his son and my son went to the same daycare together. Great guy, was in the swimming pool business and still is. And we'd be standing out front of the daycare. We'd drop our kids. Uh, and we used to go to McDonald's for breakfast afterwards. But we'd be in mid-conversation and he'd start snapping his finger right in front of my, right in front of me. And I'm like, what? He's like, you just stopped talking and you were watching something over there. I was like, huh? He's like, you went into cop mode. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you do this a lot. He goes, you don't even know you do it. And, and, I started thinking about it and I was like, he's right. And it was this awareness of wherever I was, I was constantly looking around and watching and it would be a car pulling into the parking lot of the daycare. Who's in there? Is it a threat? Is it not a threat? No, it's not a threat. I can assess that and go back to normal and go back to our conversation. 
And that was probably the first person I told the uh, go to a public place homework assignment. I said, go to the mall and try that. And he did it. And he came back and he was amazed. He's, he's, he said he saw so many things. He could see the younger couples that were madly in love, the, the people that were being dragged through the mall to go shopping and stuff. And he started seeing stuff. And he said it was amazing that his eyes were opened when he started doing that. And we can do that in any of a number of buildings, wherever you are. The main thing to do is to is to really be active with it, and you have to stick to it and not get complacent about it because it's so easy to do. So a great homework assignment for the Scaling Up Nation is Absolutely. to go to the mall, go to some public place, and go into cop mode. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's amazing. Once you start doing this, the things you're going to see and the things that are actually out there, people just don't realize it on a day-to-day basis. We get so wrapped up in our day-to-day that we focus, we focus on uh, other things. Again, we go back to the phones, but just our typical surroundings. There are some people that go from, you know, the air-conditioned house to the air-conditioned car to the air-conditioned office or wherever they go, and there's nothing outside of that, and that's their routine every day. They get complacent in reference to that and then do the reverse on the way home. It's a matter of actually getting out there and really, like I said, being that student of human behavior, getting out there and opening your eyes to what's around you and 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 mitigating those threats if they come up. Great information. We've got to be aware. Let's let's get into something that unfortunately we have to deal with in okay. this day and age. And I say unfortunate because it's it's ridiculous that there are people out there that just want to create evil. Unfortunately, it's happening. We need to know what to do if there is an active shooter situation. Could you start with maybe telling us what it means, active shooter, and then what can somebody like myself do to make sure we're responding properly, we're doing the right thing? Well, you know, that term, the term active shooter... For the longest time, it's come out now, and it's it's this big word that's been out there in media and everything else. And the more they talk about it, the more we've gotten used to it, unfortunately. And it's something we should never get used to. It seems like there's something out there every week, another incident, another incident, and what's going to happen next? You know, we just recently had, and they're still talking about uh, that horrific incident in Las Vegas. Still, things are coming out about that. But it's it's been happening for so long. Um, and if you think about all the statistics, and one of the statistics, just look at between 2000 and 2013, there's been 160 incidents of, of what they call active shooter, which really is nothing more than mass murder. That's all it is, is this focused mass murder that someone is trying to do. So they... Call the shooter what they are. They're a murderer. Mm-hmm. They're, that's exactly what they are. It happens, you know. You're faced with this thing. How do you, how do you respond? Well, if you take what we've been going over with the situational awareness and all of that stuff, hopefully you're ahead of the curve, that you know something's going to happen. But a lot of what happens with people, part of this complacency is, and and it's one of the three stages response disaster response. There was an author. Uh, Amanda Ripley uh, wrote a book in 2008 called The Unthinkable that talks about how to deal with a disaster. A fantastic book. They made it into a PBS special. And she goes over the three stages of disaster response. 
which are denial, deliberation, and decision or decisive moment. And denial is the biggest problem that we have right now. In these different situations, you go back to 9-11. People waited before evacuating out of that building. They talked. What was that? What was that loud noise? The whole building shook. Oh, my goodness. And they they were in this state of denial, what Ripley calls uh, normalcy bias, that you interpret it as an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. People would hear gunshots. And was that a gunshot? No, that probably couldn't be a gunshot. You know, maybe it was if you're in if you're in a warehouse area, maybe it was a pallet falling. Oh, that's no big deal. I go back to Las Vegas, um, looking at one of the videos from there. You see one of the singers was on stage. And sure enough, during that video, that gunfire erupts. And people, you can actually see that people are in that denial phase. And they're kind of looking around. Is that really what I think it is? Mm-hmm. And it takes a few minutes. And the one video that I saw, uh, once they turned off the stage lights, you hear the person go, uh-oh. And this was probably about five, eight seconds into it, after the first set of gunfire, it happened again, and the person's telling the people who they're with, get down, get down, get down. Uh, unfortunately, electronic devices, they're videotaping the whole thing as it happens again, rather than focusing on what's important and getting the heck out of there, uh, which they which they end up doing. But it's that denial phase that causes time. It, it takes time up and... and and actually could be the difference between life and death in reference to one of these situations. We've got to get away from that denial of things happening. When you finally get past the denial and you start thinking, um, you're trying to make a decision under stress, your senses deteriorate. It's a lot harder to make a decision once you really start, the heart rate starts coming up and starts getting worse and worse. And actually, Bruce Seidel did a book, uh, Sharpening the Warrior's Edge. Uh, he works with a guy named Dave Grossman a lot on um, interpersonal human aggression. What they talk about, what Sadell talked about, was the heart rate in different conditions and the different states of stress that you're in affect you personally. 60 beats a minute, you're probably in condition white, you're relaxed, it's a resting heart rate, 60, 70, somewhere around there. But as it starts increasing to 90, 120, and all the way up to 125, your senses start to deteriorate. And this is a natural phenomenon that happens, and it's it, it's happened to me once. You start losing things. Uh, you get vasoconstriction, the veins in the outer extremities constrict. It's an old caveman response. If you lost an arm, a bear or something attacked you, you wouldn't bleed out. Um, You get auditory exclusion. You don't hear anything. There's stories of officers that have been in fights for their lives wrestling and a gun will go off and they never heard it. They saw the light, but they didn't hear the sound. So we've got vasoconstriction, auditory exclusion, and tunnel vision. Tunnel vision is one of the last things to pick up, and it's actually happened to me. There was an incident that happened when I was working and was dealing with a subject. Subject, and this is going years back, I made the mistake of looking away towards my backup, like, hey, we need to take care of this. Well, as I turned back towards the guy, he followed my looking back with a left hook to the chin. Uh, Instantly, the heart rate went up. Hadn't been in that situation before. I was still a young officer. And as I stepped back, 
what I saw, I didn't, I didn't hear him, but I could see him flailing and his mouth open, waving his arms. And there was this orange fuzzy tunnel and he seemed a million miles away. But then I remember they taught us about this in the academy. They taught us about this tunnel vision thing that under stress, you can still operate and you can still function. There's also a time distortion that's involved when it's, when there's such a stress level, time seems to stretch out. Once I realized, Hey, this is what they talked about. I can operate in this. We went ahead and did what we had to do. And he ended up going to jail that night. But it's important to realize those things that under stress and studying this stuff that under stress, these conditions happen and it makes it that much harder to make those decisions. So once you get rid of denial, you get into that deliberation phase. The way the craze program describes it, there's two different brains that you have is lizard, uh, what they call the lizard brain versus the human brain. Um, your human brain actually being able to make better decisions and make those decisions where that lizard brain, while it's a fast response, it's a stressed response of just fight or flight and you're going to try to run, maybe not in the best direction. Maybe you won't be making the best decisions because you're using that lizard brain as opposed to the human brain. So awareness of all of this actually helps out. And in that decisive moment, when you decide you have to act, we talked about hoping and hiding, which doesn't work, which does not work. Just sitting there. Part of the In part of this craze program, there's a young female who was involved in a Virginia Tech shooting, and she does this lecture, and she talks about when they first heard it, the teachers told them to get under the desks. And they were hiding under the desks. And they were just regular school desks. They didn't really provide any cover or concealment, but they seemed like that was the thing to do. It reminds me of the old days of the bomb shelters and the school drills. of hiding, The duck and cover? Yeah, yeah, of hiding under your desk. She basically said the person came into the room and just started shooting. And she just sat there and waited for it to be her turn. Wow. And she ended, she ended up surviving, but she ended up being shot twice. Um, it's a really interesting part of this, of that program, that video that she does. But that never works. You've got to make that deliberate action. You've got to, you've got to decide and you've got to be able to make your decision and act on it. There's a fancy term for it, and the fancy term for it, it's called an OODA loop. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I have not. Most people haven't. Uh, it's something really simple that people do every single day. It came from an Air Force major, Major John Boyd, fighter pilot during World War II, Army Air Corps, brilliant tactician, fantastic guy with a great mind. And he actually, in the end part of his career, helped with tactics and strategies for Desert Storm. So he's had a tremendous career. But what he came up with with this, it's the UDA is an acronym for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. And we do it every day. We do it every single day in our life. The best example I can give is, is being in a grocery store. You're going down the aisle. You're going to do, you don't know what you're going to get. Okay. You orient yourself down the aisle. Observe the item that you want. Ah, I need that. I need my box of Captain Crunch or whatever you want. Um, you orient yourself towards it. You grab it. You decide that that's the one you want and you act on it and you take it. And we do this constantly in, in, in every decision we make. It's part of this decision making process. It's just no one had ever explained it to me before that way, before I started really getting into this and learning about this and how you make decisions. 
we do it in tactical operations. We try to get into someone's OODA loop and disrupt their OODA loop. So that way they, it slows their thought process down. So the faster you can go through these OODA loops and make these decisions, having all of the situational awareness and, and all of these things that we've talked about put together, the quicker you can get to the act phase, which is one of the most important things in this active, in dealing with an active shooter. The craze program that we teach comes from uh, a group that's called, uh, well, a program called the Alert Program. And law enforcement, we love acronyms, just like the military does. So everything has to have this long name and a lot of letters. Uh, Alert stands for Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training. And it comes out of Texas State University. They've been doing it since 2002. It is a tremendous program. It started out for officers, teaching officers how to respond to these situations and how to adapt to these situations. And it's been picked up. Department of Defense has picked up on it. So they are nationwide the standard for police officers for active shooting uh, or active shooter response. Uh, State of Georgia has picked it up as the standard as well. Uh, the State Academy in, in just north of Macon in Forsyth, Georgia, teaches this class uh, once, probably twice a month. It's a two-day class that they teach officers on how to respond. It's it's a pretty high-speed class. They use what are called simunition rounds, which are kind of like paint, paintball for cops. And it looks and feels like a, a real firearm uh, that we would carry, but it shoots paint bullets. So it, it, it's, it's as close as you can get to, to realism. Uh, without getting hurt. Well, what ALERT decided and Texas State University decided is not only did the officers need to know something, the need came out for the general public to know how to respond to this. What do I do? What are the simplest things I can do? Even if I have that lizard brain and all I can remember is something very, very simplistic, a fight or flight kind of thing. And what they came up with was uh, an, acronym, an acronym called ADD, and that's one of the biggest parts of this program that we teach. Uh, and it stands for Avoid, Deny, Defend. It's very, very simple. It applies to wherever you are. It can be any kind of building, uh, any location, anywhere. And if you think about it, there's been other programs that have been out there. Uh, they've called it Run, Hide, Fight, a whole bunch of different things. This one is specific to this alert program. What Avoid, Deny, Defend is, basically, in any situation, if you're involved in an active shooter situation, the first thing you want to do is avoid it. You want to get out. You want to find an exit. Get out as quickly as possible. And we talked about with situational awareness, knowing where those exits are, being aware that if it does happen, I know where an exit is, a primary exit. If you can't get to that, is there a secondary exit? And in the class, we talk about uh, different ways to get through things, going through a window if you had to. One of the things they bring up is, could you actually, if you had to, if you were in a room and needed to get out of that room and there was no other way out, could you get through drywall? to get into another room, potentially? And the answer is yes. We talk about that in the program. But that's the biggest thing. If you're faced with that, you want to get away as quickly as possible. Some of that video from uh, 
from the Las Vegas event that just recently happened shows people and they are moving. They're running, they're grabbing whoever they can with them and they're getting out. Even if they didn't know exactly where it was, they're trying to get as far away from that sound as possible and just keep on moving. That's the main tenet to all of this stuff. But what happens if you can't? If you can't, that comes into the deny phase. And when we talk about the deny phase, we want to deny them access. We want to deny that, that shooter, that murderer, access to where you're at. If you're in an office, close the door, lock the door, turn off the lights. If they can't get in there, they're going to move on to the next thing. A lot of the behavior that they do is they're looking for targets. And unfortunately, you don't want to be that target. So if you can deny them access, they're going to go for the next easiest area. They're trying to get as many as they can as quickly as they can. Because if you think about these incidents, there have been some that have been longer, but most of them are, are, are minutes, are minutes, five minutes, ten minutes of an incident. So it's critical if you can't avoid it, then you deny them access to where you're at. What are some of the ways that we can deny access to them? If you look, do a survey of where you're at. If, if it's an everyday office that you're in the same office every day, do a survey. What can you do? One of the simplest things is a doorstop. Okay? If you put that doorstop underneath that door and block it and lock it, it's going to be hard for them to get in. It's going to be tremendously hard for them to get in. Another option is uh, barricading the door with furniture. Get as much in front of it as you can to deny them that access and take that time away from them. Because if something like this happens, someone somewhere is dialing 911, guaranteed, and we're coming. And the usual response for something like this is about a three-minute response. Because we're coming. We're coming and we're, we're trying to stop all of this from happening. And one of the fortunate things from all this is you now know how to handle this because it's happened before and you're trained for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you deny at all costs to get them out. That buys you more time. If you needed a secondary exit, maybe to get out of a window to try to go back to the avoid part of it. Hide as much as you can in that room away from that door once you've got it barricaded. Uh, you can use, if it's a door that swings out, uh, a belt. A belt, maybe keep a nylon strap in your office. If your door opens or opens outward, keep something that you could use to tie off to keep someone from opening that door that way as one of the other options to do. And when all else fails, uh, it comes down to the defend part. There's been different situations. Uh, in the program, it sh there's, there's a video. It is a school board in Florida that they show where a disgruntled, uh, husband comes out, his wife was terminated, and he comes to the school board meeting uh, with a gun. And clearly, there's, a, there's so many things in this video that we've talked about here that you see just in this one video. There's the denial phase of people are just, there's this guy, he spray paints an emblem on the wall, and people are just sitting there looking. There's one or two that get it and run and get out of there as quick as possible. They get through that denial phase pretty quickly. And they go to straight to avoid and get out. But people are just sitting there. And he tells them to leave as he's got a gun in his hand. And uh, people are stopping and picking up their belongings and things like that and kind of packing 
you know, laptop bags and stuff as this person's there with a, with a, with a firearm. And it's amazing to see this. Um, folks, leave your personal stuff. Get out. Exactly. You know, uh, the person that, the, the other instructor I teach this with is, uh, Lieutenant Boone. And he always loves to bring up because in the, in the video, it shows a few ladies that are taking their purses. And he says, there's nothing in there that's worth your life. Right. Like, leave it and run. You know, there's a point in time where, a woman comes out and uh, fantastic for, for trying to settle a situation. She takes her purse and actually hits him, hits the guy from behind. When he turns around, that's where the defend part could have come in. Cause every person from that school board could have come from behind him and jumped on that person and gotten that firearm away from him. So that's the fight part of this is that there's going to come a point in time where if there's a bunch of you, you can overpower that person. There may be someone that gets hurt. You know, there's never a guarantee in any sure. of Someone may get hurt, but you keep that person from just walking blindly and, and, and killing people left and right. Um, so that's the final part of it is defend yourself. And we go back to that emotional part of it that I talked about. What's that emotion that's going to make you want to defend yourself? Like I said, for me, it's family. Mm-hmm. And you have to have that just well up and change that attitude inside of you from fear to anger. And that's going to make you react in that fight, in that defend part. And you defend yourself and you defend everyone around you. You think about it, wherever, wherever you are, you, there's something you can use to defend yourself. Even if it's a location that you're not normally in, it's not your home office. It's not where you used to or your home, your office, you're at a client's uh, location Look at the things around you. What can be used, whether it's keys, a screwdriver, uh, anything that can be used as a defensive weapon to try to take that person out. And at that point, all's fair game. You know, you're defending yourself. You have the right to defend yourself and to live. So all bets are off at that point. And that's the main tenets of what the craze, the civilian response program teaches, is that avoid, deny, defend, and it can be applied anywhere. Like I said, it, it, it's simple enough that you can take that and apply it to whatever location you're at, wherever you go through your day and go from there. Rob, I just mentioned that the fortunate thing from all this evil, and that's what it is. This is, this is evil. The police and the first responders have learned some valuable things from these evil things that have happened. So if we can barricade ourselves up and deny entry, we can we can rest assured that there are people on their way and they know what's going on. But the evolution of how you learn some of these items is one of the things that I use to kind of get myself through this craziness. So I really have a hard time. The world's hard enough. Sure. And now we've got people that just want to hurt other people. It helps me to know that even with that going on, that some good can come from this and you have good things that you've learned and other officers have learned that have helped you get better when something like this happens. Do you mind going through some of the incidents that we're all familiar with and some of the good things that you've learned from that or some situational things? that sure, Absolutely, Trace. Um, you know, it's always evolving. Uh, our... Our job is what people think that we're out there and we just write tickets and it's a very, very static job, but it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing in the industry. Laws change, tactics change, 
in the 18 years that I've been with the city, the things that I learned from the police academy and just starting out, some of them are just completely out. We just don't do that anymore, certain things. And for a lot of different reasons. I remember some of the textbooks that I would read. I was a voracious reader when I first got into the business and anything I could get my hands on to learn. Uh, we look at it, we look at that stuff nowadays and we kind of laugh because it's so out of date. So we're constantly evolving. In reference to active shooter situations, we'll start we'll start with Columbine because that's what everyone talks about. Uh, that's kind of the bellwether for all of this. Up and up until the start, up until Columbine, critical incidents that occurred. Basically, the officers would come, they'd set up a perimeter and wait. And they would wait for whatever tactical team, whatever acronym you wanted to use, SWAT, SRT, to get there. Well, that's usually about a 30-minute response time for them to get from wherever they are, to get out there, to get on scene, to get kitted up, and to pull the whiteboards out and start making plans and start trying to get a response to what's going on. And that's what happened in Columbine. And it was unfortunate because that did happen. They were just going by what they were trained. But had they gotten in there sooner, they would have been able, I believe, to save more lives. And that's one of the biggest things now that Alert Group, that Alert teaches. And the way our training has changed over the years is we don't wait anymore. We don't wait. Rather than waiting for a specialized team, frontline officers are trained in how to respond. And it's a big thing. We've, we've trained our entire department and we retrain them and keep updating and refresher training and things like that. So they're the first ones in the door. Uh, you get one to two officers, you get in, you get on the radio, you tell them where you're going and you start actively looking for that person to stop that threat. And that's what Columbine brought about was that, that fundamental change in tactics rather than wait that you got to get in there time times of the essence and you got to get through that door and you got to get in there and unfortunately and we teach this in the class as officers we're expendable we are expendable that's our whole purpose that's our job is to get in there and to stop that threat you never want it to happen but if you're hurt or something happens that's unfortunately part of the job you're trump we're out there to try to save the public and to try to help the public we'll touch on aurora colorado in aurora Part of what happened, and in the craze program, they actually they actually had video of that subject coming into the theater and buying ticket and getting his ticket and going in. Uh, they show when the actual shooting started, what had happened, and people running out the door. And it's funny again that one that video is very clearly shows that hope and hide. They show two uh, concession stand employees and they see everyone running out the door they don't know what to do you see them in that moment of of just vapor lock where they can't figure out what to do and they both duck underneath the counter and they hope and hide and they sit there and after a few minutes you see the one person come out uh the first employee and kind of looks around and runs then the second employee sticks her head out and realizes that she's been left and she's by herself she goes over the counter and Finally, it clicks in for her to get out the door, get out the door, avoid at all costs that situation. What ended up happening in the aftermath was the law enforcement came in 
to get in there to, to stop the threat, the fire department staged out, which is what they do. One of the premier things you learn that I learned in EMT school when I went through that program, the first thing you ask is, is the scene safe? So as firefighters, paramedics, they're not going to go running into where an active shooter is, where some kind of gunfire is, because they can't help anyone if they're hurt. What ended up happening was they had different, they didn't talk on the same radio channels. Uh, they couldn't coordinate communication between fire and law enforcement. So while the officers are trying to pull bodies and trying to help these people, the fire department was staged further away, which is what their normal plan of action is, but they couldn't communicate. So what's come from that is being able to communicate better on the same channels when there is a situation like this through a command post potentially, but also, and we've done this out here in Gwinnett County, they're actually training the firefighters to be a second wave to go into that situation. <clears throat> and they will go in with body armor and they're going in strictly to help. So they're escorted by officers. The first wave of officers goes in to actively go after that threat and to find that threat and eliminate that threat. The second wave is firefighters and paramedics going in to try to triage and to pull out those people and bring them out of that situation and help as many as they can. Virginia Tech was another one of the uh, shooting that occurred in Virginia Tech. Uh, we, I talked to you about that, that one student that was there. What she talked about also in her speech was that that person, that, that shooter, uh, chained the doors shut to the, to the, to the residents, to the classrooms where they were. It was, um, I forget the name of the hall, but he actually went with chains and went and barricaded himself in there to give him more time because he knew that law enforcement was coming. He knew that there was going to be a response. So he wanted to give himself as much time as possible. Consequently, we carry breaching tools. We carry things I've got. I know in mine, I've got bolt cutters and pry tools and things like that that I can do to actively get into a place. Tools that normally only the fire department would carry back in the day. We've had to adapt our skill sets and change and start doing things like that so we can still, so nothing can keep us from getting in there. And uh, we keep adapting. We keep adapting. Las Vegas that just recently happened horrible. No one had planned for that. No one, uh, with all the training that we've had, it was just one of those things, uh, a high altitude person, a good angle of attack, scoped weapons, rapidly firing weapons, uh, something completely different. The jury's still out on all of that in reference to training and what could have been done differently, better, all of that. They're still actively going through that. But I can guarantee that this is going to be like Columbine, another paradigm shift for us. This is going to be another big shift in our training where we'll adapt. Whatever that is, we'll adapt. And it just keeps going back and forth and we keep adapting back and forth, trying to stay ahead of the curve. When I took your class, you were very specific that these evil people have something in mind. They want to get something. And you say, don't give it to them. Don't give them that motivation. Can you speak on that? Sure. Uh, it's, it's the notoriety of what's going on. It seems like 
every time they want to be the next biggest person. It's the one-upsmanship. I know in different news stories uh, with the Las Vegas incident, they talk. They keep talking about numbers, and they keep talking about the most, you know, the highest number of, of dead. But what they are also doing is they're constantly talking about the subject's name, and they keep putting their name out, and they keep talking about talking about him, and that's part of that notoriety that I think some of them seek over the years. They want to be known as that person that did that and actually in some stories that you'll see there'll be a different name in the craze class i talk about this and we talk about aurora colorado and some people will remember that but there's other incidents that happen that people will not remember unless you hear the term that's used in the stories describing it say in in aurora colorado they talked about the uh the batman killer or the joker killer since he had the person had orange hair, there was another one in Michigan that was. They talked about the names and they brought the names up, but people remember it more as the Uber driver killer, and they remember that. And it's and it's the way that they're almost advertising the actions. And this isn't a knock on media and stuff. It's 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 just the way things are and the way people remember things. But what. Alert also does. Alert has another program that they go out there and they talk about don't name them. Don't give them the notoriety that they want. Don't give them that that boost to their ego, which potentially is why they're doing all of this, and let them let them go away in obscurity. And talk more about the victims. Talk more about the stories of the people that helped each other during these situations. I know there was... Uh, Stories that came out about Vegas, about people just stopping and helping each other, uh, people with medical training that were in the middle were helping others that had fallen and doing that. That's what to talk about. Talk about people helping each other through these things, not advertising the acts of, of like you said before, someone who is just generally evil. And that's unfortunately what this, what this is all about. But we talk about that. And that's the last slide in the program is not to name them and not to give them that notoriety. Rob, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This is, this is heavy stuff. This is very deep stuff. This is stuff that's going to make people safer. It possibly can save someone's life. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, absolutely. Um, I've, uh, I think it's tremendous. Uh, I know a lot of listeners are going to get a lot out of this. There's a lot we talked about. All of it's important. But I, I, I know that there's that one thing that you want to make sure that every listener takes away from this. What is that one thing? Open your eyes and open your mind. Be aware of the surroundings you're in. Keep your head out of the phone. Looking down in that phone all day. Put it away. Put it in your pocket. Start being more aware of your surroundings. Who's around you? What's around you? And become that student of human behavior. It'll give you, in the end, it'll give you that edge when something does happen. If you're unfortunately placed in that situation, that you'll have the skill sets and, and that little bit of advanced warning to try to get away and save yourself. I want to thank you for the job that you do. Most people run away from danger. You and your fellow officers and, and other first responders, they run towards danger 
so they can help people. Thank you for everything you do. And um, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Trace. I appreciate it. I'm sure like me, since the Las Vegas shootings, you've been trying to make some sort of sense out of what happened. And we're, we're never going to come to that end. The only good that I can think can come from something like that is for us to be aware and to have information that if something like that were to ever occur again, that we are now able to make decisions based on the information that we just heard. Make sure that you're staying out of your phones all the time. Our phones are great. We're able to get the information we need, but they're not a substitute for the world around us. They should help us deal with the world around us. They shouldn't be our world. So pay attention to what's around you. Maybe try talking to the people that are around you. Definitely practice some of the things that Rob mentioned to us when we go out to restaurants, where are the exits? How am I going to be safe if the main exit that I came in were blocked? And it's my hope that we never have to use that information. But if we have that information and we need it, I think we can take a horrible situation and make it a little bit better. Folks, I always end the episodes by saying, be a better water treater tomorrow than you were today. But I'm going to end this one saying, treat your neighbor, treat whoever you're with better than you did yesterday. We're all on this planet together. We all have to work with each other. We all have to live with each other. Let's do that in a way that, that just makes it a little bit better. So that's my challenge for tomorrow. Have a great week, folks.